Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Just like that, one hour in. Glad you're with us this Thursday afternoon. OutKick 360 rolls on across the OutKick network. 6th and Peabody, our location each and every day here in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. 6th and Peabody, the home to Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Both made here on site, sold on site. You can't go wrong visiting 6th and Peabody or any of the Old Smoky and Yeehaw properties uh, throughout the South. Then you can check them out through the 6th and Peabody website. Uh, our thanks to Andrew Brandt for joining the show. Coming up, Scooby Wright, linebacker for the Birmingham Stallions, will be with us. And right now we say hello to Moose Johnston. He is the USFL VP of Operations, made it through the inaugural season without a scratch. Here's the Super Bowl champ right here. Uh, Moose, good to see you back on the show, man. Hope you're doing well. I don't know. There might be a couple of scratches <laughs> on the body. <laughs> is there a is there a energy dump, so to speak, after a season where you've been on the grind for the last 12 weeks or so? Yeah, I would say... Um, battling through the weekend really um that was it was you know to the point where everybody was tired um you know everybody was kind of grinding through those last couple of days um and you know just the schedule that we had with uh you know breaking everything down getting back to birmingham getting everything kind of put away you know it it wasn't just the game itself but but everything that happened after the game that that really kind of you wanted to have that exhale and you know we we didn't get a chance to exhale until really monday night tuesday morning um so yeah (laughs) there was definitely an energy you know the the crowd in in canton for the championship game had to give you a bit of an, an energy bump also uh seeing so many people come out for it did it give you some an added burst those last two weeks in Canton, just the change of scenery to go somewhere new to play football games? Yeah, I think the change of scenery was good. And, and you know, we've done that a little bit towards the end of the season with the the back and forth to Legion Field. So I think that that we built a lot of confidence that we could do that, even though, you know, it's kind of like what everybody says. You know, you can move 500 yards down the street or 500 miles away. You're still doing the same thing because you're packing everything up and you're unloading everything. So, you know, the fact that we had moved to Legion Field gave us the confidence that we could do the Canton trip. So um, I, I thought the change of venue was great. It, it gave us an opportunity to, to, to say thank you to our players and our coaches at Canton um, to get some of those guys, you know, an opportunity to go to the Hall of Fame and have that experience, uh, you know, have Jimmy Johnson come in and, and talk to them. Uh, was was really well received. So uh, yeah, I I really and all in all, and and if we are, if we really are going to do a northern hub and a southern hub, I, I've got my fingers crossed that the Canton experience becomes the stadium that we play our playoffs in every year. You know, we have we've had Mike Prayer on a number of times throughout the season. He's such a great communicator, and he's great on the broadcast. I, I know he's been good for you guys, the relationship you have with him. How nice is it to have one voice when it comes to officiating issues like that that you can go to, bounce things off of, especially being a guy with his level of experience? 
it, it was it was unbelievable this year. And, and I'd actually like to give him a little bit more, you know, authority. Um, you know, there were there were several opportunities this year that, that I'm looking forward to having conversations with Mike about where because there was not a flag thrown on the field, Mike can't step in. I, I think that we have to create a couple of situations where Mike has the authority to, to step in and put something on instead of stepping in and taking something off. Uh, we had a couple of times where we had some tempers flare and we had some punches thrown and those players should have been ejected from the game at that time immediately. And if we didn't get that done through our officiating crews, I would like Mike Pereira to have the opportunity to step in and do that himself. Um, but I think you saw that, you know, during the course of the playoffs, we had a couple of really big plays. Uh, you know, I think none bigger than, you know, the roughing the passer on, uh, Philadelphia with the interception that was returned all the way down inside the, the red zone. And, you know, in the NFL, does that stay? That, I mean, that's a huge momentum changing play. I mean, you've got the stars down inside the red zone with an opportunity, you know, to start pulling ahead in that game or New Jersey is going to get 15 yards on a first down. So I think that that was one of the great examples of, you know, what the system in the USFL is and how it functions and how it functions well. Um, because we all saw it, the replay at the stadium where like, that is not roughing the passer. He is off to the side. He didn't slam him. He didn't come down with all his weight on top of him. There was not a forceful blow to the head. I mean, none of the standards of the rule were met on that play, but it was going to be a huge game changing play. And I, I'd, I'd be safe to say that New Jersey is probably in the championship game. If that play is not overruled by Mike Pereira. So I think that that just shows, you know, some of the some of the really unique things that we're able to do in the USFL with Mike being the single voice. Do you think you'll have been influential in a way that the NFL will borrow anything from you rule wise, um, technology wise? And uh, let's take it player wise. How many guys you think are going to land in camps? Uh, let's start with the guys first. We've got about eight or nine guys that have already signed on for a workout. Uh, I think we've got two that are getting ready to sign a contract to go to camp. Um, so that's great news and it's early in the process. So, uh, I expect that number to grow, uh, as we go through the year from a technology standpoint with the, uh, with the NFL. Um, I, I think the video on the sideline is, is something that's, that's used in other major sports. And I think the way that our players grew and, and really our coaches grew during the course of the season into that becoming something that was very, very critical for them. Um, and to hear one of our quarterbacks say, you know, when I watch the film tomorrow, you know, traditionally we're watching that whole film as a team that next day. Um, but we've only looked at single play snapshots, you know, during the course of the game. I've already watched almost the entire game during the game on video. So when I see it the next day as a team, I'm taking some of those plays one and two steps further right away. So I, I think that there was a value not only on game day, but then also in the evaluation of the players, seeing things that they wouldn't have seen the first time because they're watching it for the second time. Um, from a rule standpoint, I, I think one of the things that the NFL was really anxious to see is our punt play. Um, the, the kickoff is a play that, that they've been working on for a long time and, and trying to, to make it safer. Um, I, I think they've, they've turned it into a play that's really not that productive anymore in the NFL. And that was one of the things we wanted to make sure that we had in the USFL. So I, I really liked our, our kickoff return rules. Um, I, I think when we look at it at the end of the season, our player safety is, is going to be outstanding on that play, uh, but also having the excitement on the return. I, I think the NFL now has shifted because they've made such an impact on the kickoff return because nobody really returns the kickoff anymore. 
um, to punt returns. Punt returns is becoming one of the more dangerous plays in the NFL. So I think what we were doing on the outside with our gunners, bringing them in and making them be, you know, not outside the numbers, you know, not allowing the vice, you know, to happen right away. You know, you had to, you know, wait a while uh, unless it was a non-traditional punt um, where that that is something that helps. And, and I think they're also looking at, you know, maybe some time savings, you know, with the guys going out of bounds and get that penalty called. Um, I, I don't think we had anybody out of bounds during the course of the season, especially with a penalty on a, uh, on a punt. So I think there's some things there that the NFL will probably take a look at because that was one of the plays that they were really involved with Mike Pereira uh, in kind of orchestrating some of the changes. Moose Johnston, our guest, he's the VP of operations for the USFL. Uh, but Chad and I had the opportunity to come down several times. We, we, we love the atmosphere in Birmingham, especially when the Stallions were playing. Uh, you know, there will always be people on Twitter that want to point to the crowds. I think the North... Uh, hub is a, a next step for all this because you're guaranteeing another home team that's playing every weekend and you can s- seesaw the days Saturdays the north Sundays you know in Birmingham or vice versa and you've got a crowd on hand for the TV broadcast that will enhance everything uh, I understand from the 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 monetary uh, point of view why you did it in in one area and one location all season but to me, the next step is getting that next home crowd, quote unquote, to back, you know, for instance, a Pittsburgh team the same way they did Birmingham. Absolutely. Um, I think that was one of the big things that, that, that everybody involved, you know, with the USFL saw the response from the Birmingham fans. And, and we'd love to provide that opportunity for somebody in the north. Um, and, and you made a great point there with, with the alternate schedules on the weekend. Uh, you know, where the games, you know, are always featuring the home team. We're getting that home team on twice. Uh, yeah, you know, you think that people had come to terms with, uh, you know, some of the, the situations that we have with the, you know, the, the empty stadiums uh, during the course of the pandemic. But, but I think that the networks were so good at covering that up. And yeah. with all the technology that we had with the drones, with the double sky cams, there was just no way for us to really, you know, protect ourselves from showing the stands, you know, empty at times. Um, but for us, we decided that it was it was more important to push the technology and and bringing the viewer in and giving them angles that that they had never seen before than it was to be worried about you know somebody's perception of what it was like in an empty stadium. Um, so you know, I really think the gradual rollout in year one, having all eight in one location, in year two, hopefully having two groups of four uh, in different locations. Uh, I I think the north you know, we're, we're more condensed in certain areas. So is there an opportunity for travel in to some of these games that would be, you know, considered a, you know, an away game for the the host city. Um, and, and all of a sudden we got a bunch of fans from, from one of the other franchises coming in because it's considered their home game. Um, so I, I think it, it, it's going to be a unique opportunity. I'm excited about it. I think it's a, it's a nice rollout in what we're trying to do. And I think that that's going to be one of the more important things, you know, for us in the USFL is, is always making sure we're being responsible from a budgetary standpoint in what we're doing. Moose, I know a lot of questions I'll have and we have, and we talked about this on site. You can't answer because there is not an answer yet. Uh, And I I totally understand how that goes. Do you think the players unionizing will actually help against the XFL or do you, is it something you're not even worried about? Well, we really haven't started conversations with the union yet. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, I I really don't know, you know, how the dialogue is going to go. There's been some some inquiries, you know, since the season ended uh, on some points that they'd like to 
to start the, the, the negotiations with. So, you know, that'll be interesting to find out. Um, I, I think there's going to be give and take just with every unionization. Um, you know, there's going to be some, some points where we feel, you know, that's going to benefit us. There's going to be other points where the players are going to feel that it benefits them. So it's that, you know, that collective bargaining component of the give and take that's going to happen during, you know, the course of the off season through the season. Um, you know, th- this is probably not going to be completed by the time we start 2023, if we're going to do it the right way. Um, so that's something, you know, that, that I think that everybody has to be aware of. Uh, but yeah, we have not started any initial talks right now. Um, so I think we're all interested to see how that dialogue is going to go. Uh, and, and hopefully it's going to be amicable. Um, you know, the, the one thing that, that these spring leagues are, are designed for is to provide opportunity for the guys to get back to the NFL. We want to make sure that that stays, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, on, on both sides table is this is about the players. So let's make sure we're not doing anything um, that's doing something negative to the players. From a trial and error standpoint, there's got to be a lot of things you just don't know until you do it. So having one season behind you now, and I'm sure there are a lot of adjustments you made week to week throughout the year, do you think that gives you an advantage against the XFL having done it for an entire season and being able to fine-tune things going into year two? Well, I, I think just the experience of completing the season, um, you know, executing, you know, not just the championship weekend, but, you know, a championship playoffs over the course of two weekends, Um you know, I think that that's a big thing. You know, people were asking us in the beginning of the season, are you worried about the XFL? And and I think, you know, we all said the XFL should be worried about us. You know, we're in week six right now. You know, there's there's nothing indicating that we're not going to complete our season and crown our champion. Um, and we were able to do that. So I, I think it's still unusual that people are asking us about what our thoughts are about the XFL, because, you know, we, we've got all that experience under our belts, exactly how you said. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, we've heard some of the uh, the conversations about how they're going to function, and it's going to kind of be similar to how we would. It sounds like there's a potential double hub. Uh, it sounds like they will be going into the individual home markets for the game and traveling. They'll have a much larger travel budget um, than, than we did in year one. Um, you know, we only traveled to camp for our playoffs. They're, they're going to be traveling, uh, you know, to games potentially every weekend into those home markets. So, um, there's some things that they're doing differently than us. Uh, but, but that doesn't mean that, that they're the best way to do it. So we'll continue to be frugal. We'll continue to grow, uh, at, at a pace that allows us, uh, an opportunity to go from year one to year two, from year two to year three. Uh, and, and when Eric Shanks talked to the Sports Business Journal, he didn't just talk about year two. He talked about year two and beyond. And for us to be able to, to, to do that the right way, we just need to be smart. And, and I think there are a lot of things that we can we can take from our experiences this year in season one uh, and apply those in season two. It, it would be it would be foolish of us uh, you know, to be the same next year that we were this year. Uh, you know, that is not the sign of a well-run company, of a well-run league. So we, we all expect to be much better in a number of different areas than we were in year one from the experience we gained. With the passing of Tony Saragusa, I saw a lot of photos that you were in with him as part of that broadcast team and got to read a lot of stories about how much fun he was to be around uh, on some of those trips. How much did he, he just seems like a guy, and I never met him, but seeing that personality, that would, that would brighten up a room, brighten up a road trip, brighten up a broadcast. What was it like working with Tony Saragusa? It was amazing because what happens in broadcasting is you get into a routine. And the one thing that Tony did was disrupt the routine. Uh, it was never the same 
from week to week. Uh, and, and that was one of the great things that he brought. And, and it was also, you know, my message was you, know, you give up a lot when you're on the road as a broadcaster and, and you miss a lot of things uh, within your family. Um, you know, some of the big moments, you know, m- you know, my wife was holding down the fort with, with sports on the weekends. Um, you know, my son played hockey and she's traveling and tying skates. Um, you know, Charles Haley's filling in for me as a coach on game day. Um, you know, you just missed out on things. You try to get back if you had a game that was close by, but, but it was hard. And, you know, I think that that was one of the things that, that Tony struggled with at the end, but, but he also created that sense of family within our group. Uh, and, and we had, we had a tremendous group of people, uh, that we were working with, you know, during that time. And, and we really did grow together and it became that family on the road. And that is a very unique and special thing. And, uh, and Tony was really one of the guys that did that because, I mean, it was, he was like a camp counselor, you know, we'd get into a city and he goes, okay, here's what it looks like on Saturday morning. Here's what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was, it was awesome because there's a lot of times when you get into that rut of, well, I'm going to go to the meeting room and I'm going to, you know, I've got, I've got some notes I got to go over. I want to watch a little bit more film. And, you know, he was like, listen, we, we all need to be prepared. We all need to do our work, but we can't be in here the entire day. You know, let's, let's get out for a couple of hours and do something. Let's keep our minds fresh. So, you know, he was that one guy that would never allow us to get into any type of routine. And, and Kenny Albert was, was absolutely phenomenal at the services in probably seven or eight minutes. He hit everything important about Tony Saragusa and the impact from him as a broadcaster, to him as a father, to him as a husband, to him as an actor, just all the crossover that, that Tony had. It was amazing how many worlds he tied together. Um, and, and to listen to Kenny Albert speak it, you know, he had to be nervous going up because you're, you're like, how do I, how do I summarize this in this short amount of time? And I don't think it could have been done any better. It was just, it was so well done. Well said. Uh, and, and Moose, I'm still picturing Charles Haley as a flag football or Little League coach in Scared. my mind. How did that go? Yeah. Uh, it, it went well. Um, I don't think we had any penalties. Uh, you know, <laughs> way of, of making sure everybody was was at their best. Uh, but, I mean, th- that's one of the things that that's unknown about Charles Haley, right? Um, you know, we hear all the stories about Charles. Charles, he would come and speak to our team. Um, you know, I, I could call him and tell him, Hey, I said, I, I've got a, I, one of the guys I coach with, he's a great guy, but he doesn't know a lot of foot, about football. Can you just be, you know, be there and make sure that everything is run the right way, you know, from a football standpoint and, and he'd drop in and, you know, just kind of hang out, talk to the guys before the game, stand on the sideline, help the coach out. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's the side of Charles Haley that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to see, but, uh, yeah, pretty cool to have a hall of famer on your sideline. Yeah. Not, not bad at all. Hey, you mentioned coaches and made me think of it. Are the coaches back? Are the eight coaches back next year already? Do you know that? And for that matter, are the rosters going to remain the same? Are you going to have a redraft? How is, has, has that been discussed at all? Yeah, absolutely. We would love to have all eight of our coaches back. And, and I think we we talked about this a number of times during the course of the season. The reason we had the success we had in year one and were able to crown a champion, a lot of that goes to our, our head coaches and the staffs that they assembled. Um, everybody talked about how competitive our games were. And I really feel that was because of the way we constructed our draft. You know, we drafted by position all the way through. And so you didn't have the opportunity to kind of load up in one area or another. And, and so it's a credit to you know, our, our personnel guys that were working with our head coaches and their staffs to make sure we had the best players. And, and that just created a, a ton of parity in our league. And that's why we had such competitive games. So we want them all back. 
Um, you know, we've already started the conversations with there. We're waiting on the confirmations for them to say, yeah, I'm back. You know, loved it. We've gotten a ton of, of positive feedback from all of them. You know, at the start, I've already talked to a couple and they're, they're coming back. Uh, they've locked in their coordinators already. Um, th- that's the first thing that we've got to get done. We have got to get our coaching staffs together uh, and get them done quickly. Uh, we will be competing with the XFL, not just for players, but also for coaches. And, and one of the things that was our fault last year is we were late in the process to getting our coaches together and giving them the opportunity to build their staffs. And so it was a little bit rushed at the end. And, and I think this year that we want to make sure that we give them the pace that's necessary. Our players, we want all of our players back. Um, you know, there's things that we're talking about with expanding rosters again, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do that. But the one thing that, that we want to make sure is, is anybody who wants to come back to the USFL is welcome. That was on a roster at the end of the year. Uh, and we'd love to have all those guys back at the, the continuity that we're going to be able to create going from year one to year two is something that I haven't been a part of yet. The Alliance couldn't get to year two. The XFL couldn't get to year two on the first go around. So this is going to be something unique for us. And everybody's been asking, you know, Hey, what, what is year two like? And I'm like, we haven't been there yet. You know, it's going to be, you know, how we, how we build it, you know, how we plan it. Um, and that starts uh, with the coaches and players and, and getting as many of those guys under contract as we can so we can start to grow. My big charge for everybody this year will be, listen, let's let's stay connected during the offseason. Let's not wait until January or as you start to get ready for our second draft to kind of fill some of those spots uh, with the guys that are available to draft. Let's not wait till then to get together as teams. Let's take advantage of the technology that's out there today. And let's make sure that we're pushing this down the road. Let's make sure that the offenses and the defenses are much more comfortable, you know, going into year two. Let's not start year two where we ended year one. Let's start further down the road because you guys have taken the time to get together and and really start to educate and, and, and get to that point where you're not thinking anymore. You're just reacting because you understand the offense and you understand the defense. It, it was a it was a process that we went through last year. And, and I'm, I'm so impressed by our staffs and our players. Uh, the way they grew during the season. But I think we've got an opportunity to be able to do some of that growth in the offseason uh, to give them an even better opportunity to play even cleaner and better played football next season. Daryl Johnston has been our guest VP for the USFL. Hey, thanks for all the, the hospitality throughout the season on, on our behalf, uh, now that we have a chance to say that at the season's end. And congrats on making it from, from draft day to championship weekend. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And you guys are always welcome. Looking forward to seeing you in year two. Thanks. Thank appreciate you. it, Daryl. There's Moose. Moose Johnston has been our guest. Uh, that phenomenal job, considering where where they were on draft night last April to now, and some momentum now to carry over. And like he's saying, they're not going to wait till last minute on on some things as they crank up year two while they're waiting on solutions and maybe a a, a list of things that needed to be checked off from a hierarchy standpoint to get going in year one. And it started with a bang, ended with a bang. Big number ratings-wise for week one, and their second biggest number was the championship game, a really good football game that, by the way, did a 12 rating in Birmingham, which is a That's, college football-type number yeah. on a Sunday night before 4th of July weekend. So if I'm the USFL, I'm pointing to that number about a team that was good all year, that made the championship and show how many people watched in that Birmingham market and showing them, hey, if this starts to move out, this is what you could have with a good competitive team you feel like in that market. There's enough room in Canton to be a hub? 
No, I, I think he. Meant, I think they are looking at that as just their championship, championship weekend. Place. I think what they need, uh, the only way that works is if they if Canton gets a team. Like uh, to me, yeah. I would go to Pittsburgh. I, I mentioned Pittsburgh on purpose there. I would set up a hub in Pittsburgh because I feel like that market would support a spring league the same way Birmingham did. Yeah, There's just a football fabric there. Um, but again, you've got to have facilities as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where they play in Pittsburgh. That's the, the key there. And you know, there there are areas, for instance, where um, where the Steelers go and have training camp. I mean, there there are hubs available with Patrol. multiple fields and stadiums. But there there have to there needs to be a setup similar to Birmingham, but also accessible for the fan base to get behind and play, you know, and, and play into the team aspect of it. You'd like to be downtown though, and Pitt not having a separate facility is an issue right. in Pittsburgh. Right, that's the only downside. It's um, a good, the, the right kind of city, but maybe not the right kind of facility. Yeah, is and, there somewhere in New Jersey that's the right type of city slash venue for the New Jersey not. Generals? I, I mean, they, they could go to Rutgers? Newark. Well, they could go to Rutgers or they could go to Newark where the soccer team is or Hackensack um, if, if they were up for sharing. That's, just, Rutgers, that's Rutgers a northern be hub a that to me would kind of make sense for the franchises but, that could But I think it's something. a problem to go to a college that doesn't draw to expecting to, to kind of attract uh, for pro, you know. Well, the, the, the other thing to keep in mind is I don't think just based on people, not Moose, but others I've talked to, I don't think they're married to the eight teams being what they are. So, like, if Indianapolis wanted to be a hub, you could quickly change. You can can name a team, Indianapolis, whatever. Like, there's a way to make it work and get a, a fan base behind it. Because then you have one, you have the South playing in Birmingham, you have the North Division playing... And then if there's a team from the South that's going to play the North, they're there for two weeks. So you travel in on a Friday, and you don't leave until two weeks later where you're going to play back-to-back games against the team from the North. That helps you on travel. And they're, they're, with eight teams, you can maneuver this to where you've, you've got a good split, and then you have a Saturday broadcast and a Sunday broadcast. If they want to do the Fox-NBC split, in my mind, I know this is a lot easier said than done, but you have one hub city hosting games on Saturday where you have a home crowd and you have another host city hosting on Sunday and you have a home crowd on TV and the both of those teams play the second game of a doubleheader. That's how I would play into the home atmosphere aspect of what they need to get to. And I'm fascinated to see where the USFL goes and changes they make, but also what the XFL does. You heard Moose there say their travel budget is going to be a lot more than ours based yes. on what's going on. So No doubt. How, how much is too much in terms of your expenditures in year one, and will that work, and how, how much different will it be from the USFL and what they're attempting? So Just how this good battle be, is going to be interesting. How good could it be player-wise? I mean, USFL is, is limited player-wise, and now you're going to what's left after that? Right. I mean, I can't imagine it's unless you're trying impressive. to you're trying to get players. You unless know. you're getting scrub NFLers, you know. But to, but to start everything off, just to put a bow, like they were smart on the beginning, where if you were a player who was drafted and you signed a contract eligible for the draft, you were you signed a two year deal. Right. So, like, unless you just want to not play, you're under contract with the USFL to come back if you finish the season where you started. So, if I mean, you don't that, have an NFL opportunity, you're back. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, so XFL talent level is going to be back. But there, there are a lot of players, though, that I didn't see at the draft that were in the league at the end of the year. So, like, there, there is a mix and match of, you see what I'm saying? Like, it, we, they, they went out and found guys after the fact who didn't know where they were going to play when the draft happened and then figured out they would, in fact, play in the USFL. Bo Scarborough is an example. He signed on with, like, four weeks to go in Birmingham and then ends up rushing for a boatload of yards uh, for in the championship game. But he wasn't drafted by Birmingham. Um, overall, congrats to everybody involved. And thanks for Moose uh, for joining us. Scooby Wright joins us uh, from the Birmingham Stallions. Always entertaining chatting with him. He'll be with us in about an hour from now. When we come back, the next domino that we're watching to fall after we know Baker Mayfield has been traded to Carolina. What's next in this offseason storyline? What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. That's next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on. What is the next domino to fall now that Baker Mayfield has been traded to Carolina? But seen reports like, for instance, Pro Football Talk. They're immediately looking to examine what's going on with Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. I haven't seen anything to indicate that he has done anything publicly for throwing. Like, based on the recuperation of the shoulder surgery, um, it was last week or this week that you could pencil in as to when he would throw the football again, post-op uh, and, and timeline. So maybe we are gearing up for that aspect, but I don't know if there's... I mean, if no one's going to clamor for Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, I don't know if anyone's clamor, clamoring for Jimmy Garoppolo based on the injury history and the money that you would acquire in order to to trade for him. And San Francisco, serves, I mean, they're going to have to pick up a chunk of that contract the same way Cleveland did. That's how I, at this point, how I would view that move. He's due like $24 if, million. If there was the obvious teams for Baker Mayfield, and I thought there were two. Carolina or Seattle. Seattle wasn't interested. Carolina lands him. We don't think that Seattle and San Francisco would be into a deal considering they're in the same division for Jimmy Garoppolo. But if not Seattle, who apparently is completely happy with their quarterback situation for reasons unbeknownst to me, probably because they're a team that wants to fail this year and then go draft a quarterback high next year. 
I don't know who makes sense for Jimmy Garoppolo other than one of these scenarios that I laid out there where it's it's a, an incumbent quarterback that is playing for their job, a la Marcus Mariota when the Titans traded for Ryan Tannehill, and you bring in a Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup, not really competition for the starter, but someone that would be a very capable replacement if the starter stumbles. And I, I, those those teams are few and far between also. He's not dead to San Francisco, I don't think. And uh, they can afford to move forward as they are, have them if, if Lance doesn't do it for them. I know they, they want to be all in on Lance. They spent the resources to be all in on Lance. But he can be a safety blanket if Lance doesn't, uh, doesn't do it. We've heard some skepticism about Lance. Um, and look, that's a good football team that doesn't have things solved at quarterback. Having a second option might not be the, the worst thing for them, though they showed a lot of faith in their third, whose name I can't remember, but they gave a good contract to uh, thinking that he was going to be their second. But I don't think they're going to force the issue if they can't get something of some value for Garoppolo. They're not just going to spike him. I mean, I, I guess it also, to me, flies in the face of what I believe about Kyle Shanahan, and it's that's not a guy that waffles when he makes up his mind offensively. And he made up his mind when he drafted Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo, you're going out. Trey Lance, however long it takes him to get ready, he's coming in. I, I don't know that he's going to want to proceed with that level of doubt that Jimmy Garoppolo is just sitting there waiting to take his job back over the guy you drafted to be the franchise quarterback. It's not a terrible thing if he gets hurt or and whatever. It's not, it's I, I agree with you, thing, but, but, it just, it but if he's got nothing to get for him and the market's down, you know, you can wait. Somebody gets hurt in training camp. He becomes a viable option somewhere else and everything. But if that doesn't pan out for you and you've got no great thing, he's not going to give him away or, or cut him, I don't think. Well, one thing that they're not going to do is practice him during training camp if he's there. There's no way you practice a quarterback that you don't intend to be the starter, making $24 million guaranteed with an injury guarantee on that uh, if Trey Lance is the future. And you, you simply keep him healthy. And it's, a, it's an easy explanation. You just point to, hey, this is a guy who hasn't thrown since February, so we're going to make sure that we rehab his shoulder properly. And it's also a head coach that stood at the podium during OTAs and said, yes, it's most likely Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be traded. So keeping that in mind and, and keeping the fact that Trey Lance, I mean, they gave up a lot to go get him. Um, and it's not like Aaron Rodgers is in front of him. I, I think they keep him healthy and try to deal him right after the uh, start of the season, if they can, if there's an injury. Like Paul's saying, they have an injury on another team. And if Trey Lance gets hurt, then you've got a healthy quarterback that should be ready to go. Uh, all things considered, post post surgery, I think the surgery aspect of it threw a big wrench into it that they were not expecting. Oh, yeah. They were I, not I, expecting him to to opt for surgery when he did. I think it would have been a much more popular commodity had he been healthy. I mean, I don't think in, he's a world beater, but I think he's a guy you can win with. Nate Sudfeld, yeah, is, from is Indiana. The third I just looked that like. up. Yeah, he's a six foot six quarterback from from Indiana. But don't you think he would have been a more popular commodity if he, if he if he was oh, healthy? Absolutely. I think so. Yeah, I think so. But I, I mean, that, I'm still surprised he's not more of a not to the level of Baker Mayfield that surprised me how the lack of a commodity he was across the league. But I figured there would be something. You know, we'd be hearing reports about someone yeah, having. It's weird interest. that they were both odd men out to the degree yes. that they were, but. 
with with Garoppolo, the injury is a big factor. We don't know what it was with Baker. And for and for opposite reasons. Like Garoppolo's hurt a lot and doesn't play through it. And Mayfield suffered for being tough. May, Mayfield plays through it, and they're both having shoulder issues that kept them from being dealt, or to some extent, uh, kept them from cashing in earlier in the offseason. It, it doesn't this also just illustrate the thirst for a stud quarterback across the league? And what I mean by that is this. Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield are way better than a lot of starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now and would be a better quarterback for a number of teams. Not, I wouldn't say a lot, but a number of teams out there, they're a better option. But because it paid off with Matthew Stafford to the Rams, we see what Joe Burrow has done for Cincinnati. We've seen Patrick Mahomes. We saw immediately Tom Brady pay off for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I realize those are three or four guys across the league, but if you, you either have that guy or you don't. And if you don't have that guy, there are a lot of teams who are just okay with, we'll just go with this guy instead of having a slight upgrade and paying more money at the position because we know Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo, they're not Matthew Stafford, they're not Joe Burrow, they're not Tom Brady, they're not Pat Mahomes. So we might as well wait until we can get that guy instead of investing in a half measure which would be one of those guys that's, while it's an upgrade, isn't going to get you the level of those teams with truly elite quarterbacks. It's kind of eliminating the middle. Uh, you could go 15 to 17, yeah. 18 deep, I think, so, on that list. The, I mean, I mean they should have a market for them where they're an upgrade for a number of teams, but I think those teams are probably looking around thinking, eh, you know, if we can't go and get our Justin Herbert in the draft, then we'll, we'll stick right here with, you know, Daniel Jones until we can find the guy. Well, and, and Daniel Jones is far less expensive. If, you're, if you know you don't, you're not picking up the guy, then go with the cheaper option. Yeah, I mean, that's why it worked out for Carolina, because they got such a discount right. on Baker Mayfield. So that's, that's how it would work out with San Fran as well. I mean, I, how difficult is it, to Paul, to pull off a trade where a quarterback's making $24 million in week one, where caps are what they are? I mean, you... You, you have a rainy day fund for injuries and IR as you go into the season, but the caps are, are constructed in March, not in August yes. and September. So yeah. Sam Fran's going to have to eat a huge portion of that contract regardless. They're not going to cut him, and they're not going to allow him to get hurt. So Trey Lance is going to get a ton of work during the preseason, and, and he should. With Nate Sudfeld getting a ton of work. Yeah, and, and any other backup. backup scrub that they have behind him. You know, they've probably got others uh, that they can bring in um, as Brock undrafted. Purdy. Yeah. So, I mean, th those those are the scraps. Seventh rounder. They're going to get the scrap fourth quarter reps. But that's that's Iowa every State. team. The one guy I would be shocked to see even do anything other than maybe some individual stuff just to show off that he's throwing the football is Jimmy G. You just don't want any non-contact injury. And guess who gets hurt a lot? Jimmy Garoppolo. So I'm putting him in bubble wrap and telling him to go, you know, hit the sauna <laughs> and do a subway commercial. This is going to be another hot I'm not, tub day. I'm for not you. going to allow. Uh, I'm not going to allow the quarterback who I don't intend on making him the future of the franchise to get hurt during training camp, and I can't get anything out of it because it it, it, it serves you zero purpose. Yeah, it's you're you're spot on, and I'm just laughing now thinking about Kyle Shanahan telling Jimmy Garoppolo to make sure not to slip in the whirlpool area. 
yeah. because he's going to be in the in the whirlpool. That we're going to have another whirlpool day. Please don't slip and injure yourself on the walk in there. Yeah, but you know, opting for surgery is is quite the move <laughs> because now now he's he's going in where he's guaranteed money, Paul. He's got. Well, if he's going to need it ultimately, I mean. Yeah, he waited. He waited a handful of weeks before doing it. Like he. If you get it right after the season, he's throwing three or four weeks ago. Yeah, I don't understand that. So uh, he like timed Michael this Thomas. up where you're going post mini camp into the start of training camp, and within all of that, Deshaun Watson gets a fully guaranteed deal, and Baker Mayfield's available. So coming up, we uh, we've been mentioning the Seahawks and their quarterback situation. They also have an ownership group. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And a trust uh, that says they are going to sell the franchise. They own the Seahawks. They own the Portland Trailblazers. And there is a timetable to all this. We just don't know if it's happening in two years or ten years. We'll explain what to expect from the Seahawks and Blazers next on OutKick 360. The sports business is good business. OutKick 360 rolls on. An example is not even the Seahawks. It's the Trailblazers. So Jody Allen is the sister of Paul Allen, the Microsoft co-founder who passed away. And she, Jody Allen became the, the owner of the two franchises in 2018 whenever Paul Allen passed away. And so they're... They're running through the, the trust, and the reason why she's admitting that both are going to be sold is because Paul Allen left a vast majority of his assets to charity. So the money that they had that he was working with on both of these teams are no longer there per se, just hanging out in the bank. Um, he's, he's donated all of that uh, to, to different charities and philanthropy. So... She said, hey, there is no preordained timeline by which the teams must be sold. Until then, my focus and that of our teams is on winning. I mentioned earlier this week, it's not going to happen within the next year or so in Seattle, specifically with the Seahawks, because of the provision that's in the deal um, with the city and the team whenever they built that stadium, that if they sell before a certain year, and I think it's 2025, it may be 2024, that if they sell before that point on the calendar that the city gets 10% of the final sale price. And if you can save 10% by waiting 12 months, that's exactly what they're going to do. Um, from the Trailblazer standpoint, I haven't read much on like what provisions are in place there in Portland. However, they're getting significant interest from those in the, the sports business and beyond. So um, Phil Knight has publicly come out and said that he and the the Dodgers co-owner, they'd like to purchase the Portland Trailblazers. They submitted an offer to purchase the team for more than $2 billion, which would be above what the LA Clippers sold for. So that's, that's through ESPN. 
another person now is Mackenzie Scott, who's the ex-wife of Jeff Bezos. She also wants to purchase the Portland Trailblazers. So, which is amazing. Yeah, they're wanting to get in on the NBA. Who knows what's next for the Seahawks? But man, it sucks as, you know, if you're a fan base and you're trying to predict the future and investing and oh, you know, if, think of it from the Seahawks standpoint of the 12th man and you've got Russell Wilson playing in Denver and now you have the the owner uh who's the sister of you know, your your late owner saying, "Yeah, we're going to sell the team eventually." So uh, Jody Allen is the executor of the will, his sister, right? You were talking about. Yeah, she's the owner of the two franchises, right? So she is legally obligated to fulfill her brother's wishes, which include selling both teams. But any hopes for a quick sell have been cooled by the following statement from her, where she said, quote, a time will come when the changes, this does not give you a lot of hope if you're a Trailblazers or Seahawks fan, but she says, a time will come when the changes given Paul's plans to dedicate the vast majority of his wealth to philanthropy, but estates of this size and complexity can take 10 to 20 years to wind down. So there's no preordained timeline by which the teams must be sold. Until then, my focus and that of our teams is on winning. So I've got money now, but you know, 10 to 20 years from now, we might run out of money. So anytime in the next 10 to 20 years, this is going to sell. But a lot of the reaction to that has been that the offers are not good enough right now or they're not uh, trending towards being good enough based on this deadline yeah so that uh you know if the right offer shows up she'll she'll make the move once this um caveat is is passed sportico values the seahawks at 3.6 billion 12th most valuable in the nfl trailblazers 2 billion 14th most valuable in the NBA. We're compared Both to, right around the middle of the pack. We're compared to the Broncos for the Seahawks is my question. Well, but also, like, they're they're also available. Right. So that was what boosts They're the value. most valuable team right. to any particular owner because they're available to, to purchase. Where they're right, I guarantee you the Broncos were not valued at $4.65 billion, No. But they sold for $4.65 yeah, Walmart billion. got involved. Yes. <laughs> and now you have Amazon and everyone else. Uh, is there another heir to the Walmart fortune that can bid? <laughs> That's what Miss Allen's thinking. UCLA could use some money. That's why they went to the Big Ten. Headlines next.